Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hello, 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 guys. Welcome back. Today, we are talking to Taya LaPointe. And this amazing woman has been practicing as a registered massage therapist since 2010. Over the last several years, she's developed a strong reputation as a deep tissue RMT. She has a strong passion for assisting people in their pursuit of pain management, rehabilitation, and improvement of their overall health. Essentially, today's conversation really had an opportunity to talk about fascia and how restricted fascial tissue can cause bodybuilders and fitness people difficulty when it comes to being able to move and being able to pose while on stage. So we talk all about what fascia buildup is or tight fascia. We talk about how tight fascia or restricted fascial tissue can cause issues when it comes to muscle growth and being able to hit certain poses if you are a competitive bodybuilder. We talk about ways in which you can find relief at home and different strategies that might be able to help you correct this issue and really get some more mobility within that fascia. So without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with Taylor Point. So why don't we just kick things off with a formal introduction of who you are and what in the world you do? Okay, sure. Is that, you'd like me to speak about that? Yes, please. Yep. Okay. So, um, so my name is Taylor Point, and I am a registered massage therapist. I have been doing massage therapy for almost eight years now, which has been pretty exciting. And a lot of my focus with massage therapy tends to be around fascia and a lot of the problems that are associated with fascia. So that's why, obviously, you and I have connected today is about all of that. Um, I've done a lot of work with um, several different conditions over the years, um, but lately it seems to be that um, fascia is kind of the primary role in a lot of the problems that people are having today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, yeah, why don't we go all the way back to the bare bones of what is fascia for somebody who's maybe listening to the podcast and is like, what is she talking about? Yes, yes. So fascia, as I was preparing for this podcast, um, I've been doing a lot of research on it. And I've realized how difficult it is to actually be able to explain in words only without being able to use a lot of kind of pictures or props or even being able to talk with my hands. So I've hope that I've kind of come up with a way that I can explain it um, 
through the podcast. So basically, simply put, fascia is a connective tissue. We refer to it as a connective tissue because that is its primary role in the body is it literally connects every part of our body to itself. And fascia is actually the structure that holds our body in the shape that we're in. So it's kind of like this biological net. Um, When you really look at it underneath a microscope, then it almost looks like spider webbing. Um, and it has, it's almost kind of like a jelly kind of a substance when it's healthy and when it's not healthy, when it's dehydrated, then it becomes a lot more coarse and then almost becomes kind of like a fabric where it's actually hard for it to be able to move. Um, so Um, How do I explain this more too? So the fascia is literally wrapped around every part of our bodies. It starts at a cellular level where it's wrapped around each of our individual cells. Then it even is wrapped around each of our individual muscle fibers, um, our muscles, our bones, our organs, our arteries, our nerves, etc., etc. So it's literally um, kind of the glue that holds our entire body together. Mm, I love the way that you, that you explained that. I think that was a really great way to kind of tie it together and help explain what in the world it is. Now, you mentioned there a little bit about the hydration of the fascia. So is that the same thing as like tight fascia or fascia buildup? Or are we talking about uh, different things that are going on with the fascia? So there are a lot of different things. Um, Okay, so we have fascial restrictions or fascial adhesions. That is what is typically causing a lot of the the pain that I was kind of talking about not too long ago there. So what causes the fascia to get tight? Is that kind of what you're asking me there? I'm asking if the things that are going on within the fascia are the same. You mentioned in your description there about fascia becoming dehydrated. Um, So I was asking, is that the same as when we have tight fascia or are those two totally different things? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Yes. So that is the same thing. So tight fascia is basically fascia that has been um, dehydrated or damaged in a way. Um, so for example, so dehydrated, damaged, or it could even be from moving too much or in a lot of cases, even not moving enough. Mm -hmm. So it's when the fascia becomes dehydrated, it becomes denser, and then it kind of gets stuck on itself. And then that's what fascial adhesions or fascial restrictions are. Mm-hmm. What would be the signs or symptoms of tight fascia that people might be experiencing? Could it come in the form of pain or perhaps um, restriction when it comes to mobility? Or how does it show up that somebody may be able to identify, hey, I think I might have tight fascia within my body? Okay, so at first, the first thing that you're going to notice is um, some more limited mobility. Um, You might find that you don't have a full range of motion or it's not as easy. Kind of one that's more common for people is bending down and touching your toes, right? So if you're bending down with your knees straight, trying to touch your toes or put your socks on or something like that, 
then you'll notice that that becomes just more difficult. It feels like there's a bit of a tension in the back of your legs that's preventing you from doing that. Then as it gets worse, then when you're trying to bend down to touch your toes, you'll start to feel almost like a ripping or like a burning sensation in the backs of your legs. And that is the fascia. So that is when your fascia has become so tight that as you bend down to touch your toes, you are literally, you're trying to stretch out that fascia. But what you're actually doing is you're creating all these little micro tears in it because it can't move properly anymore. So your body has to create these micro tears in the fascia in order to try to restore some of that mobilization. Mm -hmm. So then what do we do? We get these signs and then do we call you or is there something that we can do at home to be able to correct it or perhaps prevent it from happening? There's a lot of different things. So if I mean, probably the, the way to get everything moving properly quickly would be to go and see a massage therapist. Um, some chiropractors will do a lot of fascial work. Um, over in the States, there's athletic therapists um, that they do a lot of work with this too. But if you are looking for a healthcare professional to work on you, then you definitely want to make sure that you touch base with them and see and ask them if they've had a lot of experience working with fascia or if that is something that they typically do. Now, if you're wanting to do it yourself at home, then you are totally capable of doing that too. Um, it's a little bit harder for people who have never really dealt with it um, because you're not really in tune with it yet, but you definitely can be. So the primary things for, to be doing at home is doing stretching, a lot of people, what they'll do is when they start to do a stretch, they typically stick with the 30 to 60 second rule with stretching a muscle. Now with fascia, fascia doesn't um, really apply to that. With fascia, you want to hold the stretch for a lot longer of a period. Now, when you go into a stretch, so let's say we're stretching the hamstrings, if there's tight uh, fascial restrictions in the hamstrings, what you're going to do is you're just going to go into the stretch very lightly. So you'll go in just where you start to kind of feel that pull or that tightness in the back of the hamstring. And you're just going to sit there and you're going to hold it. I would hold it for um, probably start for like a one minute and even work your way up to three minutes. As you're sitting there and holding it, then you'll start to feel everything kind of loosen up and you'll feel that tension decrease. And as that, ten or that tension releases, then you can slowly go into a deeper and deeper stretch. A lot of the time with that, if you're pushing it a little bit too hard, that's when you're going to start to feel that ripping sensation. It'll feel literally like the skin is ripping apart and almost like a burning sensation. And a little bit of that is okay, but you definitely don't want to do too much of it just in case you kind of cause a reverse response where there's a bit of inflammation. So just when it comes to stretching the fascia, it's slow and steady really wins the race with that. Um, you could also do a lot of self-massage. Basically what's going on when the fascia is tight is that it's just been immobilized for so long or it's been overused for so long that all of the water that is within the fascia um, has been pushed out of it. 
So if we can just start mobilizing that tissue with some self-massage even, then you can start to bring back some hydration to those tissues and help them move a lot more freely. So you could be doing um, massage, you can be applying heat to it, doing some kind of dynamic stretching um, for those who who are uh, kind of familiar with that term and really just try to get it moving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that where things like balls come in in terms of trying to do some breakup of the fascia? Like I've seen people do it with their feet and perhaps doing it with their hips. Like, is that something that you recommend? Yeah, so you can definitely bring in a lot of different instruments as well um, to be releasing those tissues. So one of the really common ones um, is like the foam roller. From a lot of the research that I was doing to prepare for today, it seems to be a little bit controversial with um, the foam roller. But I would definitely recommend um, using it, maybe not going too aggressive with it, but using that just to mobilize things a little bit. You can also use kind of like the... There's a lot of little balls like you were talking about that you could use to really kind of roll into the areas. Again, when you're using those, when you are into a fascial area, you will feel that burning or that ripping sensation. So it is okay to kind of sit on areas like that. Then if you're wanting to get even more kind of advanced with the treatments, if you're really struggling with things, you could even look into getting like some cupping. Um, There's a couple of different professionals that do that, especially like massage therapists and some physios are starting to do that as well, where you can get, um, they use these like plastic cups that they actually kind of suction onto different areas of the body that have some fascial restrictions. And they're really good at releasing that. I believe that anybody today can actually go online and order a silicone version of these cups as well, that you could do your own self-massage with that. And there's a lot of different tools that are coming out now as well. So one of the ones that I use is called the Graston Technique. It's not one that majority of people can get their hands on unless they're a healthcare professional, but there are some different versions of it. So it's called an instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization tool. And what it looks like is it looks like these really kind of crazy looking metal tools and they almost look like different shapes of knives and all you do is you just you drag them over the skin and then they can pick up on where all the fascial adhesions are and then you can just by lightly kind of rolling it over the skin it breaks everything up so I believe there's a couple different um, types out there there's one called the m2 blade Um, there's another one I think I believe it's called Gua Sha. I think that one's a bit more accessible to get online as well. Mm-hmm. I, I also read about something called tissue scraping when I was doing my research. Is that something similar to what you do? I would think that um, tissue scraping would be very similar to um, the tools that I was just talking about. So like the Graston technique. Um, the Gua Sha, the M2 blade, those kinds of techniques. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Now, I'm sure some listeners are wondering if they are doing it on their own and doing foam rolling and stretching. There's a lot of debate about do we do it before we work out? Do we do it after we work out? How often do we do it throughout the week? So what would you say are your professional 
recommendations for both the average gym goer and then some of the athletes that will be listening as well. So like the competitive bodybuilders who are perhaps training for multiple hours a day. Okay, so let's start with kind of the the average trainers. Um, so the people that aren't really training for any competitions or anything like that are just kind of working at like an average number of days a week. With them, I would say really it all depends on how bad the problem is, right? Um, and if it's affecting kind of everything that you do on a day-to-day basis. So typically with somebody like that, I would recommend maybe only doing the fascial work once once a week, maybe twice a week um, if it's starting to get really bad. However, when you start doing a lot more training and the more kind of elite um, athletes, I would start getting in kind of incorporating fascial work in probably a couple of days a week. Definitely after immediately after doing a workout. Um, actually, okay, so what I would do is if you're training a lot prior to your workout, I would be doing a lot of dynamic stretching in order to be able to warm up the tissue before you work out. So dynamic stretching is where you go into a stretch just for a second and then you kind of come out, right? You'll see a lot of people maybe doing lunges or, um, you know, with their legs, they'll be like swinging their leg forward and backward to kind of get all the tissues kind of warmed up in their legs, right? So I would definitely do that. And then after the workout, it's really important to take that time to do a lot of stretching. And even the next day, make sure you stretch um, and make sure that you're holding it long enough that you're actually getting the fascia to stretch out with it. And then if that's still not enough and you're still finding that you're having a lot of um, decreased range of motion, then that's when I would start pulling the tools into the equation and start using those probably about twice a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Are there common tight muscles that you see in athletes or does it tend to vary? It definitely varies with a lot of bodybuilders, particularly male bodybuilders. I do find that kind of the front of their chest get really tight and adhesed. So typically it's in through the pecs, um, in through like the anterior deltoids, um, maybe even into like subscapularis. So kind of the whole kind of front part of the shoulder girdle gets really tight on them. And then that actually causes a lot of problems with the back, which is where they typically feel their pain when they come into see me. Um, so once we do a lot of work on kind of opening the chest up, then they find a lot of relief with that. When it comes to runners, um, runners have a lot of problems with their IT band and with plantar fasciitis. And also with bodybuilders too, or weightlifters, is I find a lot of problems in their forearms, both kind of the backs of their forearms and the front of their forearms as well. Mm-hmm. What about hip flexors? Oh, hip flexors. Yes, that is a very common one as well. I'm really happy that you brought that one up. Um, that one I find in quite a few men, but that's definitely the primary one that I find in women, actually. Um, especially people who are doing a lot of abdominal work. A lot of people don't know that 
when you're doing a lot of your abdominal work, you're actually activating your hip flexors a lot. And the fascia in the hip flexors is really sensitive. So it tends to tighten up a lot right off the hop. And when that fascia gets really tight, it can pull your whole body out of alignment and um, cause your pelvis to tilt forward. And then it causes these imbalances kind of the whole way up your body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I would say even the other direct impact that it's going to have is bodybuilders, we do a lot of posing and have to twist and contort our body in very strange ways. I know for me, um, throughout all my preps, I'm religiously going for massage therapy and also going for, oh, what's the other thing I go for? Um, it starts with an O, I think. An osteopath? Osteopath. And yes, yes, osteopath. So my osteopath is constantly trying to get me back into alignment. (laughs) He's like, you're so twisted. And anyways, I I would imagine that you probably see people that have this limited range of motion that would also impact their ability to pose. So do you find that athletes and bodybuilders come to you with the hopes of you being able to help them be able to twist more and get into better positioning? Yeah, that has actually been something that's been um, a bit newer uh, for massage therapy, at least from in my practice, is that we're starting to be recognized for being able to help with these kinds of things. So my first experience with this was probably close to four years ago now, where I had a regular client who was preparing for a, a show. And she was talking about how she was having a really hard time with, I think it's a side angle pose. Mm -hmm. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. Because she was having a really hard time with her chest. She, because from what I understand, you have to really be able to pull the head of the humerus right back in order to be able to strike that pose proper. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what I had her do is I had her take a picture of herself in the pose and then provide me with a picture of what the pose was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And because the whole bodybuilding competi- uh, competitions and poses and all that kind of stuff was really foreign to me at that point. So from looking at those two pictures, it was really evident as to where her, like what was holding her back. And a lot of what was holding her back was the fascial restrictions in the chest. Mm-hmm. So um, she came in and we did regular treatments with her to really stretch out the fascia And what was nice about that is that not only was that able to increase her range of motion and help her be able to achieve the pose, but a lot of the muscles in her back were not able to actually contract properly because the fascia was kind of playing this tug of war game against them for so long. So it was really interesting to see that the tone in the muscles of her back actually increased as we were able to open up that fascia as well. So since I had that with that particular client, then word has been getting around a lot more about how beneficial massage can be for things like those kinds of competitions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually pretty common during your peak week, like the week before you are to step on stage. There's a lot of people in your field popping up as being like fascia stretch people that during your peak week, you go to them and they do and work their magic so that when you actually go to do your competition on Saturday, 
everything has full range of motion and you have the mobility to be able to contort yourself in the in the position that you want to and and some people that's all that they're doing they're just like just doing the peak weeks for people and getting them right where they need to for that particular week because it can make such a such a difference in our particular sports so that's really interesting that's amazing i'm really happy to hear that that's becoming so much more popular Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Now, in terms of where we go from here, science-wise, is there okay. a lot of things that are unknowns right now? Like for, like, for example, in my space, we know as much as we know about nutrition, but we also realize that like probably 10 years from now, we're, we'll realize that we know nothing. How is it in relation to what you guys know about fascia and the research that has been done about fascia? Does it feel like things are very new and we're still discovering what's truly oh, going on in, in that space? Absolutely. So... Even just kind of the difference in the science that we have now about fascia as opposed to what it, like what I was taught when I was in school. So eight years ago, or let's say even nine, ten years ago when I was actually still in the program, we were being taught that fascia was more of this thick, dense tissue that was really hard to stretch out and to separate so that the only way to really release the fascia was through these very painful techniques. Um, one of them called skin rolling, which I promise is not very comfortable. And um, that was all because with the science at that point, we were only studying the fascia from cadavers. And even then, I believe that this research that we were learning about when we were in school was quite new as well. Because even prior to that, from what I understand, when we were doing cadavers to learn about the human body and the muscles and everything, nobody really thought about the fascia as an integral part of the body. So we really just kind of cut it away, right? And just kind of threw it in the trash can beside, you know, like kind of out of the way and um, really didn't think about it. So it was quite important and big when we started learning about it when we were in school. But now things have developed so much that we're really looking at living connective tissue. Um, so there's been a lot of pictures that are being taken and videos that have been taken um, in living fascial tissue that actually show how it moves and how important it really is in our bodies. So that has all really happened over the last, I'm going to say six years from what I understand to have such a, so much more of this broad knowledge of fascia. And it's become very interesting to several of the newer kind of health professions like uh, physiotherapy, massage therapy, um, athletic therapists, yoga teachers even. Um, everyone has really taken so much more interest in it that I think that that's actually been expanding on kind of the pressures on the scientific world to do a lot more of this research. And um, yeah, so I can only imagine um, what's going to, what more we're going to learn about it over the next, say, 10, 20, 50 years. Mm, that's amazing. It's, yeah. it, it's kind of cool to... A, learn more about this, but then B, just realize that it's going to be, yeah, it, it's so new that that is also so fascinating. Like we're just starting to really get to know 
the body and all of the ins and outs of it that perhaps, um, yeah, perhaps are so new in terms of discovery. That's cool. Yeah, it really is. It's incredible to see that, you know, this tissue that we never really thought much about uh, when we first started exploring the human body is now what we understand to be one of the most important parts of holding our entire body together. Mm-hmm. So right now, from the research that I found as I was preparing to speak with you today, they're really looking at the fascia under a microscope that's, I believe, like 25 times zoomed in. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we can actually get in even further to really start kind of deciphering the different cells that make up the fascia itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, this is obviously a verbal or audio podcast that people are listening to, but I imagine there'll be people who are thinking, I would love to know where to go to know how to do the stretching and to know how to do the fascia. Um release and and to go through some of the techniques that you talked about in today's podcast. So are there particular online resources that you would recommend, websites, YouTubes, particular places that would be beneficial for people? Maybe you even have some information about it? Yeah, so that's definitely something that I don't think there is enough of out there right now. With myself, to be perfectly honest, I haven't looked too much into um, finding resources to learn how to stretch your own fashion and everything, simply because for myself, I, I understand how it all works. So I haven't had to go searching for myself and for clients. They typically come to me for that. So I haven't looked too, too much into it. What I have found though is, um, YouTube. YouTube has been amazing with all of the different people that are kind of hopping on there and sharing their knowledge and everything. And it's actually something that I've considered kind of venturing into myself is making some videos to teach people how to, mobilize these tissues themselves Mm -hmm. I can definitely recommend a lot of different um, places that you could go to learn more about fascia in particular but um, so okay sure so the two um, main people that I found recently that talk about fashion in a way that's quite easy to understand is um, the first guy, his name is Thomas Myers. Um, He's a massage therapist and he's also an author of a textbook called Anatomy Trains. Now, Thomas Myers does a lot of YouTube videos and he's got a lot of videos on his website that explain what fascia is, where it is in the body, how to stretch it. He's really big on um, yoga. Yoga is really incredible for the fascia. And he actually teaches different courses about fascia. So he teaches courses to other massage therapists, yoga teachers, personal trainers, body workers, etc. But Alivi also has courses just for, you know, people who haven't taken any of that additional training. Then they can still learn through him about what this tissue is and how they can release it on themselves and help other people with it. I did also come across another man by the name of Christopher DePrado, I believe is how you pronounce it. He is a physiotherapist and he works over at the University of California. But in particular, he has a really great video on YouTube called The Role of Fascia in Movement and Function. 
And that presentation that they show in that video was put together for people that are outside of the medical field as well. So he's got a lot of really great pictures and videos and descriptions on things that make it really easy to understand. Mm, Amazing. And we'll be sure to put all of that into the show notes for the listeners so that they can go and check that out. Thank you so much. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Now I snooped around your website and, (laughs) and, um, found out that you're interested in horseback riding yoga and scuba diving i am yes so let's talk let's talk a little bit about that as well so first of all scuba diving how in the world did you get into that being something that you do so i went through a little bit of a phase in my life there where i was basically i got to the point where i realized that we all have these these big bucket lists of things that we want to do or try or accomplish in our lives and i really started like i just wanted to start actually checking those things off of my bucket list now instead of waiting for one day Right. So during that phase, I uh, always wanted to learn how to drive a motorcycle. So I did that. I got my motorcycle license, had my own motorcycle for a while. Um, Then I wanted to get into horseback riding and then I fell in love with horseback riding and I gave up motorcycling. (laughs) Um, Then eventually one thing led to another. I started doing a lot of traveling. So at that point, I traveled through Thailand on my own for my first big trip. And then my second big trip, I spent a month traveling through Australia. And when I was there, I had the opportunity to scuba dive on the Great Barrier Reef. And let me tell you, if anything will make you fall in love with scuba diving, it is going to be scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef. Mm -hmm. So after I experienced that, then... When I came back home, that was at the top of my list of priorities was getting my diving license. And I truly, truly love it. So, so cool. Um, I did some solo backpacking and hitchhiking by myself a few years back as well. And I love that you have that inside of you because it is rare. I'm sure that when you went and you went and you decided, okay, I'm going to go do this thing, you probably had some people in your life that were like, are you sure you want to go and travel all by yourself? You're a girl, right? Oh, yes. (laughs) So, So let's talk about that. How did you get up the courage? Were you born with that? Is that something that you just have always had that innate, I can just do it kind of thing? Or did, how in the world did it come to be? No. So the, my first big trip, that was my trip to Thailand that I had mentioned just a few minutes ago. And, um, that was the first real, I think before that I'd been to Mexico a couple of times and some all-inclusive trips, but I had never done any kind of traveling on my own. And I had never really been that far away from home as far as Thailand. So basically what was going on there is I, was on a mission um, on my bucket list was that I wanted to spend time with an elephant, but I wanted it to be in its natural habitat. I didn't want to go to a zoo or anything like that. I wanted to go and see an elephant in its natural habitat. So um, I did some research and found this amazing trip through um, Thailand with a tour company called G Adventures. And I had been talking to friends about it and everybody was all gung ho, like, yeah, we should do this. So, um, I had two friends in particular and they're just like, okay, like, let's just, just wait until, you know, 
January and then I'll have enough money and we can book it. So I'd be all excited. I'd wait till January and then they, I'd go to my friends and like, oh, like, no, like I don't have enough money. Let's wait until, you know, later in the year. And that happened a couple of times. And to be perfectly honest, I just got to a point where I got impatient. And instead of waiting on other people for me to be able to go and really kind of live my dream and go and have an experience that meant so much to me that obviously didn't mean as much to them. Um, I just decided like, you know what, like, I just need to do this. So I got in touch with um, a travel agent and he got everything booked for me and I just went on my own. And to be perfectly honest, that was probably the best thing that I have ever actually done for myself. So, yeah, I learned so much about life in general from that trip. (laughs) How do you think traveling changed you? I would think traveling, especially going somewhere so far away and where, I mean, I didn't know any of the language at all, right? And they had such a different culture. So it was definitely a culture shock. It really, first of all, you really have to learn who you are. Mm. Right. When you are totally on your own and you have nobody else that you can rely on, all that kind of thing, you, you really kind of hone into who you are. And it really helps you build up a lot of confidence, too, to know that you can go to this foreign country and you can survive and learn how to communicate and be totally out of your comfort zone and still be OK. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really amazing that came with that. And it also gives you this incredible freedom to be your true authentic self because you're not with anybody who expects anything from you, Mm -hmm. right? You're not with a friend that expects you to want to do this or want to do that or whatever. So, or they don't expect you to act a certain way. So you can literally be whoever you want to be when you're there and when you're away from all of those expectations of the day-to-day life and just figure out what's truly important to you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think for me it was like for my entire life I always needed validation from my parents or other people about being smart or being um, strong or being whatever. And it was always like, I needed other people to tell me how blank I was. So to, to essentially validate who I was and that I was good and that. So I was always just seeking that in other people in what people were saying to me and, and the way that I was showing up. And when I took that away and was in a foreign country and doing this entire adventure on my own, I was like, you can thrive without the validation of anybody. You can thrive just being yourself without doing things just for the validation of other people. And I think that was the biggest awakening for me when I came home was like, do what lights your soul on fire. And some people are going to jump on the bandwagon and love it. And other people aren't, but either way, you're going to be on the right path because you're choosing what feels really good for you, not what's going to make everybody else happy or what's going to please other people's wishes. You're doing what really feels amazing for yourself. And I think getting to that place of awareness and that place of like just owning who you are is the place where I wish that more people would get to because I think so often people choose to live a life that is not completely and authentically their own it's 
who somebody else wants them to be and not what's truly fulfilling for them. Did you find that when you came back that you started to notice that in other people? I think with me, kind of similar to what you were just saying, is that it going on on the trip definitely provided me or kind of let me give myself permission to do things for me, right? And to realize how you don't really need the validation of other people. You just really need to do what, what makes you happy, right? And you learn how to validate yourself through all of that, which was a really empowering lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with other people, when I came back, I definitely had a different level of confidence and my, I wasn't near as dependent on the thoughts and the acceptances of the people around me mm-hmm. because I had the confidence to know that I could stand alone and I could still have this amazing life and these amazing experiences without having to constantly be you know reminded from other people that I'm doing okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah amazing did your business start when you returned from all of that or when did you create your business yeah so my business um I graduated from college in 2012 and sorry that's a lie in 2010 and um, that's when I became registered. So once you graduate, it takes a few months to go through all the provincial exams and that kind of thing. So I was self-employed and um, working for two years before I built up the courage to go on a big trip like this. So it was in 2012 that I went to um, Thailand. And then that is what really kind of you know, sparked that love of travel. And then I've been on quite a few trips since then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So where to next? Next. So in December, my husband and I are actually going over to Paris and to Prague. Um, that'll just be kind of a short trip just to go over and explore the two areas. But um, the big trip that I would like to do next would be over to Africa. I'd really like to spend at least three or four weeks kind of exploring that area over there. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's amazing. Is that one of the reasons why you enjoy having your own business, being able to do that? Um, yes and no. Um, having your own business, it definitely provides me with the, um, the flexibility and the schedule to be able to go. But at the same time, having my own business, I still have a lot of additional costs that I have to cover even while I'm gone. Right. So it does kind of make it a bit trickier um, to go that way. Like, for example, I can't take a couple weeks vacation and get paid for it. Right. And instead, if I take a couple of weeks or even a month off, I st- I'm still responsible for paying for my clinic and all of the um, kind of monthly expenses that come with that. So it actually makes it a little bit harder to travel financially. But ultimately, when it comes down to traveling, it's not about finances. Right. It's about the experiences that you have when you're gone. Mm-hmm. And I would even just say, though, that like, isn't it even if you're not getting paid for those weeks, it's like the fact that you could go for three to four weeks and that you could customize the traveling experience to be whatever you want. And it, like, I just think that that is such an amazing thing about entrepreneurship and and yes there are challenges absolutely but I wouldn't like for me personally I wouldn't want it any other way like yes there's times when it's like oh it would be nice to 
not work so many hours or it would be nice to like not have I don't know the things that hang over your head the responsibilities you're... right yeah. like that would <laughs> yeah. be nice but I would hate having only two weeks vacation for the entire year and then having to cram in like that and oh, I just I love the flexibility I love the flexibility component it's, it just it creates a happy life for me personally absolutely I've you know I've kind of toyed with the idea of you know, getting out of being self-employed and going back to another position. But after having the freedom and the flexibility that comes with being self-employed, I really don't think I could do it. <laughs> no, no, no. I like, I, I, I could suck it up. Like I could suck it up, but I don't Yeah, know, if we I, had to. Yeah, if I, I could suck it up. But it's like, if I had to sit down and figure out my life and what I would want my life to look like, I love the fact that I'm in the driver's seat of that. Um, and yeah, I just think that's, that's awesome. And I, I, I love what you're doing. I think that like, it was fantastic that Michelle connected the two of us and, um, yeah, you sound like a pretty cool chick. So it was great to connect. Well, thank you. I've heard so many wonderful things about you too. So it's been really wonderful to be able to chat with you and connect with you too. Excellent. Thanks, sweetie. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll wrap things up. We'll get your contact information first. So how can people connect with you if they want to reach out? Probably the best way to connect with me would be to go through the website. Um, so that's lapointmassagetherapy.com. So L-A-P-O-I-N-T-E massagetherapy.com. On there, you can find all of my contact information. Um, you can contact me by email or my phone number is on there as well. And, um, yeah, that's definitely the best way to get me. Cool. That is fantastic. And we like to wrap up the podcast in the same way every time. And that is by asking you, how would you like to be remembered? How would I like to be remembered? Um, I'd have to say for helping people. That's, that's my big thing. I just want to be able to help and make a difference in people's lives. <sighs> so awesome. So, so awesome. When I see people that are like make their mission serving other people just like is amazing because I think we have this powerful ability to impact one another we shouldn't be on our own like solo adventure we're all in this together and I love that you've opened up your heart to make a difference in that way mm -hmm. yes <laughs> righty. well I will let you go my dear thank you for joining me today and uh, I will be sure to let you know when the episode is live so that you can share it within your network. And thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, hon. Have Bye. a great day. You too. Bye. -bye. Bye. Oh, oh my goodness, what a great conversation. I just love talking to strong-willed women like Taya and hearing their stories. This, this podcast is such a beautiful platform to be able to connect with amazing women. So if you want to connect with Taya and want to learn more about who she is and what it is that she does, I want you to head on over to LaPointeMassageTherapy.com. I'll be sure to have that in the show notes for all of you guys as well. And that's it for me for this week as well we are currently sitting about 
episode, what would this be? Two weeks post-show? So, competed just a couple of weeks ago now and uh, working on increasing my calories and trying to get my darn cycle back. So that is really the mission right now. We do want to add to our family. We want to add a second child. And I haven't had a period since 2014. Had my son at the end of 2015. It's been a long while. So I had the Morena IUD in. Uh, we removed that in August. So right now I'm still working with Nutrition Dynamic and Vince Pitstick over there with their team to try to get my menstrual cycle back. I'm going to be sharing more about that particular journey on my YouTube channel and the various things that I'm doing to help out with that. I'm also going to be reaching out to a couple more experts in this space to really share more information about trying to get your cycle back. I know so many women suffer with this particular issue, especially the fitness enthusiasts and competitors. It can be really challenging. You go many years maybe without your cycle or your cycle comes and goes on and off. And I wanna make sure that I share that beautiful journey with all of you guys. So thanks for being along for the ride, guys. I really, truly value that you're here. I'm so, so grateful to just have this platform and to have the best audience in the world. Hope you guys have an awesome week and I will catch you next time. Ciao. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.